part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And as we're seated this morning, uh, realize that uh, one thing became a, a stark reality uh, when we got the phone call on Saturday, uh, on Friday, late Friday, that Ricky would be out and his family, and then that Jeff would be out, and then got the uh, kind of a text yesterday that one of our elders would be out. And so slowly they were going. And here's what I concluded from all this. A couple of weeks ago when Carly and I had to be out, I had four guys that I could call at that point, uh, Jeff and our elders, that could fill in appropriately. And uh, yet this morning we've had to cancel some things, we've had to modify some things, and I thank you ladies so much for leading us in worship. But here's what I found out. Ricky's really not all that replaceable. Jeff is not all that replaceable. Sherry definitely is not all that replaceable. But Bobby's very replaceable. This is what I've kind of concluded from this thing, is that we have a lot of more that can fill in pastoring than we do uh, those that can fill in these other things. But ladies, again, my heart just of appreciation for your willingness to kind of go with uh, the flow this morning. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we're going to come to the fourth and the final in this series. Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at the verses that kind of follow what has been our focus verse during this time. But let me ask you a question first. Have you ever made an emotional purchase? You know, you went in the store, you had not planned to buy something, and you go in there and all of a sudden you, you come out later either uh, uh, with your arms full or at least one thing. It can be as simple as, have you ever gone into Kroger here in Jefferson not planning on having Starbucks but then just as you're there, you're going, you know, venti cappuccino right now sounds pretty good. And so all of a sudden, even though that was probably more expensive than maybe what you wanted to, to pay, you made that emotional purchase. Well, sometimes when it's an emotional purchase like that, and it's 4 or $5, it may not cost us a lot. But then there's other times that we've actually made emotional purchases, and, and the cost is heavy. Uh, true story uh, that I heard of, don't know the guy, um, and I, I believe that he's still alive. Uh, a young father, his wife had just had triplets, and so his beloved truck, he was going to go trade in to, to get a minivan. And, you know, he loved his truck, and it was one of those things. He goes down to the dealership, and he begins to look at the, the minivans and everything. And uh, he's willing to do this because he loves his family. He's excited to be a new father, triplets. His wife, and they just have this need now, not of a truck, but of a minivan. You can only imagine his wife's surprise when he showed up about three hours later back home with a Jeep. Can you imagine the shock on her face? Now, he got in there and he fell in love with this Jeep. It's not practical. I think the cost of that, not so much in dollars, but in, in, in uh, you know, the appreciation of his wife, cost him dearly. We make emotional purchases. When we get down to this place of will we surrender to the call of Christ, uh, isn't an emotional decision, isn't an intellectual, logical decision. Well, let's visit the call of Christ again in Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Is this an emotional decision? Is this a logical decision? 
I asked a lot of people from our CS family this this week, some of the men in discipleship, others as I just had conversations with them. And after they got past that initial thing, okay, the pastor just asked me a question. I don't want to answer this wrongly. So they kind of, you know, hesitated for a little bit. Is this a trick question? And then they would kind of sheepishly kind of say, I think it's both. And they are right on correct. This call to die to ourselves does involve intimacy with the one who died for us, this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so it is very emotional. We do it out of love. At the same time, it is the logical answer to life's problem. And I think that a lot of times in our faith, we put a lot of emphasis on the emotional part. And we really fail to see biblically how logical this really is. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, this surrendering to Christ, this denying self, this following Christ is the most sensible decision that we would ever make in our life. And while it seems illogical, I have to die in order to live, throughout the Bible, and especially again, the New Testament, Jesus tells us, count the cost. It's one of the most familiar things that he says there. And, and we see that idea attached in, attached in this passage. This morning, we want to finish out this series by looking at the two verses that follow this great call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. Look at verse 24 and 25. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Do you see the logical conclusion that Jesus points out in verse 25? In fact, he uses a word there, profit. He uses actually a mathematical term to say, okay, when you do the calculation, even though this seems illogical that you would have to die in order to live, he said this is where real life begins. Something that we take as a mystical mystery of the gospel, something that we take as, oh, this is an emotional thing, our faith is, is emotional, Jesus comes back and he says, actually, it's the most logical decision that you would ever make. What seems illogical on the surface, die in order to live, he says, this is actually the truth of life. And he begins to use this terminology. In fact, did you know that the term, the the, the phraseology here that we see in verses 24, 25, is the most cited phrase, idea, that Jesus portrays in the Gospels? You go throughout the Gospels, not just because each of the Gospels records this, but even in other circumstances when he's telling parables in his sermons, he brings this phraseology back up. It's the most cited phrase, subject, theme that Christ has in the New Testament. The most repeated saying that he has. He he continually says this, Basically, if we just want to put this into our terminology, do the math, count the cost, logically figure out what is the best way to live your life. Again, this was the center of a lot of the parables. It was the center of a lot of his sermons. And why we often think of our faith as being so emotionally driven, Jesus says it is an emotional thing. It is intimacy. And yet it is very logical. Much like many of us who are married, it was an emotional decision. We had love. We had this feeling of love. And yet we were smart enough, especially us guys, to go, this is the best thing I could do to marry this lady. 
Not only do I love her, it has that emotional context to it, but this is really smart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When we look at the gospel record, when we look at the biblical record from Genesis to Revelation, one of the things that you will conclude when you look at this aspect is that the Bible says this is the smartest thing that you could ever do. That following Christ is really an intelligent choice. Now, don't get me wrong. It's only the smartest choice. It's only the intelligent choice if you truly believe all the things that the Bible says. If you believe that God is exactly who the Bible says that he is, that is, in his recorded word, what he's revealed to us, if you believe what the Bible says, what God has said about himself, if you believe what the Bible says about man, that who we are, When you look at the biblical record and you begin to see the eternal perspective that there is this place called heaven and that there is this place called hell and the reality that when you think about those things and if you really believe those things 100% wholeheartedly, then how could you not want to live for Christ? If God truly is this sovereign, great, and mighty God, if we truly are sinners in need of a Savior, if there truly is a place that we will spend all of eternity, does it not make sense that the, not just the, the most emotional decision that you can make, but the, by, by far, by far, the most intelligent decision, logical conclusion that you could ever come to is, man, I want to follow this Jesus. That's why Jesus used the word prophet in verse 25 as he did. Think with me for a second. Can you imagine how many people have died without Jesus and instantly realized the truth of what Jesus was saying? I mean, think about it, guys. I mean, honestly, if the Bible is true, if God is truly the God of the Bible, if we truly are sinners in need of a Savior, if there truly is a heaven and hell, there's an eternal place of permanence after this life. If all those things truly are true, and I believe those things with all my heart, how many years, days, seconds before that do we have after we die that that reality begins to take place? Does it take 10 years? Do we die and in about 10 years we begin to say, you know... This really wasn't all that smart of a choice. That is, if we're separated. Do you think a year? Do you think a day? Or do you think in one second, before the very throne of God, before the very reality of this God of the Bible, that there's an instantaneous knowledge? Oh, my goodness. I either just made the best decision ever or the worst decision ever. I don't think it's going to take months and days and, and years to evolve, I think we will know that instantly. And I, I think I can say that biblically, not just kind of guessing at it. There's a parable that Jesus told. He, he loved to demonstrate kingdom truths in stories because he took really hard concepts and he put them into a story, a parable, and he would take those hard concepts and people go, okay, now I can grasp that. Now I understand that. And one of the parables that Jesus told about eternity and about how we live our lives and, and, and how we follow Christ or reject Christ is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In that parable, there was this rich man. In Luke 16, there's this rich man, and he very much uh, has a life of plenty. He, he has excess in every area of his life. 
But there's also this poor man, Lazarus, and he is described as a man who is waiting at the gate of this rich man, waiting for crumbs. And in this story, this parable that Jesus tells, both of these men die. Lazarus, the poor man, is carried to heaven. The word carried very much is pronounced there. The rich man is buried. And the word buried is very much pronounced there. And he is separated from God. He's what we would call, he goes to a place called hell. He's separated from God. And the story goes on as the torment of hell becomes. Here's this rich man used to getting whatever he kind of bids because his money would afford him that opportunity. And so he looks to the heavens. He can see to the heavens and he calls out to Father Abraham, which would have been a very familiar term to the Jewish people. And he calls out Father Abraham. Can you send that Lazarus? You know, I didn't remember seeing him outside my gates. You know, he was a pest. He was always there wanting something. Could, could you send him down? And would he be able to just to put the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue? That's what it look at Luke 16, 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue. For I am in anguish of this flame. I'm in anguish in this flame. What is God's response? What is the heavenly response to this request? Will you show mercy? Will you give me one drop of water? Will you serve? Will you have this servant guy, this poor guy come down? And the answer is no. And it's a definite no. It's a pronounced no. And so this rich man, and he's not in hell, please understand this, he's not in hell because he was rich. He was in hell hell because he didn't trust God for the provision of his his salvation. And, And Jesus uses that because in the Jewish mindset, when people had a lot, when they were rich, they saw that as spiritual blessing. You must be holy because God has blessed you. And they saw disease and being poor and not having much as God's punishment for people in their sinfulness. So this was their mindset. And so this is what Jesus was addressing. Because the very one that they thought should have been to heaven, the rich man, was not there. The very one that they thought, okay, he is such a sinner, that's why he is a beggar and he has all these needs in his life, he would be sent to hell. And that is not what happens here. And Jesus uses this reality to see how illogical some of their understanding was. In this parable, the rich man makes a second request. Okay, if I can't get a drop, even just a even single drop of water on the end of my tongue to relieve me for even a microsecond, what will you do this? Will you send somebody to my brother's? Because I have five brothers who are still living and I want them to know what is waiting on the other side. And what was the response of heaven? No. And one way that sounds so un-God. You know, isn't he the God of, of love? He is the God of love. But look at the response that comes from heaven. Verse 27 and 28. And he said, that is the rich man said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he might warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. And the heavenly answer, no. 
for they have the prophets and they have the scripture. All the data needed, all the information needed, everything that needs to be revealed for them to make the intelligent, wise, smart choice is there. Now, folks, is that an emotional decision? Certainly it stirs up emotions when we think about a person in heaven and we, uh, you know, this beggar is now in the bosom of Abraham. That's kind of really endearing, very intimate. So it's emotional. And it's kind of emotional when you think at it just out of a fearful way that this man is forever separated from a holy God, a chasm that can never, he can never go across. That brings a fear and then kind of a tragic, you know, sense to our mind. So it does have emotion, but it's based, the, the storyline, what Jesus is trying to say, the most wise decision that you would ever make is to live this life in light of the fullness of eternity. Folks, that's when we are called to, to count the cost. Jesus says, in, in my terminology, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, do the math. Figure this out. Look at, look at what the Bible says and make, an, make a decision. And that's the conclusion that the apostle Paul made before he ever got to eternity. In reality, he didn't, maybe he heard that parable, he was familiar with that parable, but in that parable, they didn't really know the fullness of all their decisions until they stood before God. And in a way, we will never know the fullness of all of our decisions until we stand before a holy God. And yet the Apostle Paul, on this side of eternity, was able to say this in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus uh, Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. Now look at that verse. What, what is Paul saying? I did the math. <laughs> I, I worked the formula. I, I kind of counted the cost. And I won. I gained. That's the word that he uses there at the end of verse 8. It's in the Greek word, it's the word meaning profit. I came out ahead. Uh, have you ever sold your house? And let's just say you sold your house and you've been in that house for 15 years. And let's just, because of round numbers, you bought that house for $100,000. And over those 15 years, it is appreciated to $250,000. In that same time, you've been paying down that original loan. And so you go to sell your house, and you sit at the closing table, and they do this incredible thing. (laughs) They write you a check for your equity, for your profit, you sold it for 250, you owed, let's say by that time, only 50. They write you a check for $200,000. Is that cool? Or is that, now did you, all along you'd been profiting. Every time that you paid down, and every time that that house appreciated, all the time, this profit is growing and growing and growing and growing. But when do you realize it? When you sit at that table, and they hand you this check. That's what Paul said. Paul said, all this time that I've been living for Christ, that, that I've surrendered my life, I've died and been crucified with him so that I can no longer live, that, that Christ Jesus can live in me. He said, all this time I've been profiting. But I won't know the full that until one day. And he's not going to sit at a closing table. And he's not going to be given a check. He's going to look into the face of holy God. And he's going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Does that make sense? Our faith is emotional, guys. But please do not erase. Biblically speaking, it is much more of an intellectual, logical decision than it is an emotional decision. Because what happens with our emotions? And hopefully our logic is a little bit more steady. And so that's why Jesus continually says, okay, look, count the cost. This is repeatedly uh, pronounced in Scripture. Uh, turn to Matthew 13. Another parable, another story. In the midst of several parables that Jesus was telling, and again, illustrating uh, principles of the kingdom and stories that we could kind of understand. Matthew 13, verse 45 and 46. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. A very simple parable, maybe one of the shortest that Jesus told. And basically he said there was this man and his whole life was he was a merchant of pearls. He'd wake up in the morning. He would consider the pearls that he had and, and he wanted to improve his lot. He would always want to profit by the end of the day. And so he would be searching for pearls. And if he could trade this pearl for one of greater value, then he did good. He came out ahead for the day. This was his job and this is how he spent his life. And one day, Jesus in this story, this parable says, this merchant went out and he found a pearl of great price. And yet there was a cost to that pearl. This merchant would have to sell every other pearl that he had acquired in his lifetime. Let's say that he had 20. Maybe he had 200. We don't know. But he had to sell all of that in order to purchase this pearl of great price. Jesus says that he does this with joy. Or it's implied joy because the parable right before that talks about the joy that the man had when he found a treasure in the field and he sold all that he had so he could go purchase that field. Joy is the pronouncing thought. But this is just smart. Because what happened in this merchant's life, if we just kind of take this parable and find this kingdom truth, he was searching, searching, searching for profit. Then he found a pearl of great price. He sold all that he had. He bought this. And what was over? search. Isn't that what he says? Finding the one of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. He's not going to be searching anymore. And yet in our lives, as we try to build our kingdoms, isn't your building and my building of our kingdoms a search? I mean, I don't know about you, but when we go out there and try to build our kingdoms, and, and, and they don't have to be evil things. They can be very good things. It could be building up a security of our wealth, putting money back in a 401k. It could be a, taking care of our family. It can be a lot of really good things. And yet all of these are searches to, so that we can find satisfaction and security. And what Jesus is telling us there is, look, when you find Christ, your search is over. But we have to die in order to live. If there's one thing that we see predominant message in the New Testament, it is this idea of 
Not just denying self, but dying to self so that we can experience true resurrection power. And yet I would say that for most Christians, and I'm talking about Christians that are in church, that, that love Jesus, one of the hardest things, one of the things that we have to admit is that we are searching still. There's a part of our life, there's a part of our flesh that we're still in search. See, it's our nature to bargain with God instead of dying. There, there's no, when we look back at Luke nine twenty three, there's nothing about okay. I just you know remember we talked about how crucifixion it ended in a, only one thing death. It wasn't a slap on the hand. It wasn't punitive in, in the way that it was a temporary behavior modification. It was death. And Jesus never waters that down. He doesn't say, well, you know, just because you kind of live more for me than a lot of other people do, uh, you know, it's one of those things, since you're kind of in the top 50 percentile, you're going to slide, and that's okay. No, there is no bargaining with Jesus. Let me demonstrate that biblically, so it's not just an opinion. Turn to Mark chapter 10. person that Jesus encounters on that particular morning. We know it's the rich young ruler. We don't really know his name. We just know that he's rich, that he's young, and he's a ruler. This is a pretty good life. Okay, this is a pretty good life. And he comes to Christ one day and he asks Christ, how do I inherit, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus begins the conversation. He says, he starts mentioning some commandments, you know, Honor God, put God first in all things, honor your parents. He begins to go through the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler responds in this way, guys. He says, these things I have done since my youth. In other words, what we have here is a rich, young, moral ruler. This guy's pretty good. He's not an evil guy in the sense of if you just compared him to, to the rest of society. Then look what Jesus does. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. I mean, he was talking to Bobby. He said, okay, you lack 47 things. For some of us, you lack 114 things. But here he says, rich young ruler, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus wasn't saying that we can buy our way into heaven. What he was doing, he was loving this rich young ruler saying, okay, here, here's the place that you're stumbling. Here's the place that, you, that you're not dying to. You are so relying, you're so searching for security and you've put security as, you know, or, or your wealth as a security. So what happens here? Look at verse 22. I often say, hey, this is one of the saddest verses of all the Bible. Hey, this is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he that is the rich young ruler went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was searching. Christ tells him the answer right there. And yet Christ doesn't bargain with him. The man rejects 
the offer. He goes away sorrowful. And, and do you notice that Jesus, when, when the man starts walking away, he says, wait, 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 time out. Did I say sell all that you have? What I meant was, why don't you sell 75%? And, you know, you've earned it. You keep 25%. You keep it back there just as kind of a little cushion. Christ doesn't bargain on this dying to self. And you might think, well, you know, that's kind of cruel. You know, I, I just think of Jesus being so much, you know, more loving. Go back to verse 21, guys. What does it say? And Jesus looking at him, what? Loved him. Notice two things at the conclusion of this series, as we conclude this series. Why doesn't Jesus bargain with us? Why, why do if we have most of our act together that Jesus says, you know, man, you're just kind of the cream of the crop. And so, man, I, I'm willing to take 80% in your life, 90% in your life. Because some people are not giving anything. And so, you know, you actually are giving a lot more than some people out of your life to follow me. He doesn't bargain with us. Here's the two reasons that make this the most logical thing. Number one. Because anything short, if Christ, if following Christ truly is the fullness of life, why would Christ want you to have 80%, 60%, 50% of that? Do you want your kids, you that are parents, to have 100% joy? I mean, isn't that the desire of your heart? So, so why would you substitute? Why, why would you compromise? Why would you try to bargain? And and not give them loving advice. No, this is the right way to go. Because it wouldn't make logical sense. And number two, because it wouldn't be loving. If Jesus truly gave us, if he began to bargain with us, if he bargained with this rich and ruler and allowed him to walk away 50-50, he had not given him the fullness of the life that he could have. Does that make sense? But it all comes down to, do you believe who God says he is? Do you believe what God says about us? That we are sinners in need of a Savior. Do you truly believe all that we understand about heaven and hell, that there is an eternity that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever, and it will be with God or it will be separated from God? And that's a reality. If those things be true, then isn't the wisest decision that you could ever make in your entire life to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Emotional decision? Yes. We read, I mean, we sing holy, holy, holy. Did you have some emotion with that? Yeah, but that emotion is based on truth. This is who God is. He's holy, holy, holy. And so out of that comes emotion. But that emotion is based on truth. In this call to die for our to, to self, to deny ourselves, to, to take up the cross daily. Smartest decision that we could ever make, guys. Emotional, yes, but logical. If all the Bible is true, and I believe that it is true, what a loving invitation from Christ. Deny yourself. 
Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, in one way, death, so that we can live, seems so illogical. And yet, Father, the truth of your word, the power of the gospel, the power of resurrection, Father, to experience the power of this resurrection, Father, as Paul described, it truly means to be crucified with you. Not just once, but, Father, daily, that more and more and more, Father, we see the logic, just how wise and smart it is to live for you. And yet, Father, our own flesh and this world dulls our senses to the reality of the God that you are, the humanity that we are, and the eternity that awaits us. Father, every day our senses are dulled, our hearts are dulled, our emotions are dulled, and our mind is dulled to that. And it's only through the clarity of your word and the power of your spirit that, Father, we see things with this great clarity. So, Father, as we come to the end of this series, Father, we we just lift up this prayer to you today. That, Father, help us to, to lay us down. That whatever we're withholding, Father, whatever we're trying to bargain with, okay, God, you can have these nine things, but I want to hold on to this one thing. Father, will you give us the, the faith, the ability, the intelligence to lay that down so that real life can begin? We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.